You found us through fly fishing. You'll stay for our passion and the community. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. Yeah, but he doesn't get it. How come fly fishermen don't get it? You only haul with the short power snap. Look for where people walk and the insides of bends and, and hunt those. The roof blew off and the interior walls got sucked out. And the trees are just coming up. And I mean, he's clearly not going to clear the trees. It is not a fly fishing story. It's a story about me trying to understand my brother through fly fishing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We've been waiting for you. Follow our guests, follow us on Instagram, and share this episode and the love if you enjoy this podcast. And we are live in three, two, one. How you doing, Sam? I'm great, Dave. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on here. Uh, we're going to dig into a lot of the uh, your background in rivers and water, and uh, and we're going to talk about some etiquette and some other questions I have about doing river trips, but... Take us back real quick. I want to hear your story um, about just the outdoors. How did you get into it? How did you get the idea of starting a podcast on uh, on river on the River Radius podcast? Thanks for asking because it's always fun to kind of go back there. So growing up, I grew up in Southern Illinois, outside Carbondale, Illinois. I grew up in Carbondale for a while, but also originally on Boscadel Road, and we had a little creek in the backyard, and I spent a lot of time there just because I wanted to, and also because my parents just kind of shooed me out of the house a lot, but would go to that creek and just kind of live there all day, building dams, building stick boats, and chasing the water spiders. I don't think I ever caught one, which I can I can totally see it in my mind. I'm just scooting away. Um, and that was, a, that was a huge important part of my life. And I still, when I go home to see my mom, I still go by that house and look at that creek and think about all that. And it was a great way to come up and, and understanding, not understanding water, but like watching water and really being, being uh, kind of transformed by it. And then, uh, the other end of that is that about a 40 minute drive away was the Mississippi river. And and we would go there often. My dad would take me down there and we'd go kind of wade up to our knees. We weren't allowed to go past our knees because of the undercurrents and, and just watch the tugboats and look at the river and see how much it varied in, in its, in its flow, which was significant. You know, sometimes it's low. And then I remember in 1993, it was, at the bottom of the steps at the arch in St. Louis and, um, which is a massive amount of water. And, um, so go down there a lot and just kind of paying attention to that river. And then everywhere I grew up, there was water, there was, there was creeks and lakes all over the place. And, and the towns at the time, at that time, weren't very good. Our town Carbondale wasn't very good at managing the water, at least in my neighborhood. And so anytime it rained, it would all just transform into this kind of flooded out neighborhood in particular, our, our yard. Like my mom still has a pump in her basement and all the neighbors do too, to pump water out. It's going like every, every three minutes it's pumping out water um, because there's so much in there. But, you know, so every time it rained, uh, I would go ride my, my little BMX bike through all the water everywhere. And I just loved it. Come home soaked and just was a, it was a blast. It's grew up loving water and, you know, it turns into other things. My parents weren't real campy, although we did camp on trips because it was kind of the, the affordable way to go on vacations. But Eventually, I get into camping with various camps, you know, in in my little cabin things. But then it turns into tents, and yeah, I went canoeing through uh, Touch of Nature is a, a really neat outdoor program through the Southern Illinois University where I grew up, and they would take us 
we would go over to the Ozarks, which is just a few hours drive over in Missouri um, or Missouri, if you're getting into the deeper woods and um, go down on the current river and the 11 point river, spend a lot of summers there, just loving it. And I still go back and, and kind of just peek at those places every once in a while. Um, I call that the beginning of it all. Like to me, that is like where it all happens and there's other things that transform and I decided to move out West and go run mountain rivers and all this, but that's the beginning of it. Perfect. This is great. So, so you've got a good history from childhood, which is awesome. Tell us about the river radius. How does this idea come to be that you're going to have a podcast focused on, you know, the thing that sounds like that you've always loved. It starts with a radio show. I grew up loving radio. I grew up with my dad driving around my dad he's already passed and when i was born he was i think 48 so i had this dad who was just an elder to me in addition to being a dad and we grew up listening to cardinal baseball he was an usher for the cardinal browns and the cardinal st louis cardinals i'm sorry the st louis cardinals and st louis browns yeah and so baseball was critical to this guy grew up listening to radio all the time and just really had a fascination with what that provided and listening to him talk about his life through radio so the root of radio is there on and on, I listened to radio because that's all we had. But then eventually in college, I get lined up with the uh, public radio station at the college I went to, Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado, KDUR, and became a volunteer DJ, was totally into it. I was recording <laughs> the news coming in on satellites in the morning and nice. music and thought it was just amazing and all this just really fun. And it's fun, kind of funny, actually. I started um, interviewing my friends about their weekend camping trips. My show was Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., so I'd get them to come on at like 7.30 and interviewed them about their camping trips and the station manager was like no that's not what you do you play music that's awesome but now what tell me this sam this is great by the way but what year was this when you were interviewing your friends about camping oh man that must have been like uh probably 99 or 2000 okay good i just want to put that in place perspective because podcasting didn't start until i, I want to say somewhere like 06 probably officially or maybe maybe it was 04 somewhere there right so you're about five years right before there's even podcasting this is awesome yeah it's totally true and so i'm in there interviewing these my friends about the camping trips and the station manager says don't do that that's really <laughs> that's so that's so boring yeah play music and then she said but if you want we have this talk show called making waves that used to be a thing and it's kind of not really a thing anymore but if you want to take that over do it so we talk about it i take it over i get my my college work study lined up with it so i actually am getting paid to do this and it's a talk show once a week and the idea is that you're making waves, you're rocking the boat. You get people from both sides of a topic into the room, talk about it. I loved it. And I got so into it and was able to really get some really in incredible interviews happening through that, not just local, but statewide, regional, and then some stuff that became national level. Um, had a great time and set that aside. You know, I eventually, I'm kind of into the senior year of school and I'm like, I can't, I need a different, more simple job that I can just study with because I'm you know, wrapping up. So I wrap up school, have a teaching license. I go into teaching high school. And there's a lot of layer, like carryover between teaching and radio work. There's actually a lot of reporters who were teachers and vice versa when you really like look at people's backgrounds. But so I, I go into teaching. I move a town over towards the West. I'm based out of like Dolores Cortez area in Southwest Colorado. And I'm teaching school, but I'm, I moved here for the Dolores River. And I, I had was working as a river guide before I was teaching. I was totally into this river. This was the river that I wanted to be near. And the local radio station is here. The, the one that KSJD is now the new station here in this town. And 
I want to run the river, but the river's trapped behind a dam. Like the best part of it is captured behind a dam or in the West, we're in the arid West where it's over allocated and there's not a lot of water coming out of the dam. And so I'm knocking on the door of the Bureau of Reclamation's office saying, what's up? There's snow in the mountains. I see the water in the river. Oh, wow. Why isn't it flowing? Is this just knocking the door or do you have a microphone in your hand? No, just knocking on the door with like a PFD and like a boat. You know, like I want to go boating. I'm like, what's up? I've been on that river down there, but it's dry right now. And so the guy who's who's receiving my knock is Vern Harrell, and he's the he's the head of the Bureau of Reclamation, and he's a really he's open to me, and we get to know each other. It turns out that we have a lot in common in terms of how like we want to live, but we don't see things the same in terms of like how water should be used. But it didn't matter. We became friends, and started talking about the river. He invites me to be on some committees around like how the water's managed, not some committees, a committee on how on the spill committee for the Dolores and. Eventually, I asked him if I can interview him on the radio. I got to know the radio station. I didn't have a radio show. I just got to know the radio station. I had some friends there. And I asked if I could interview him. They said, yes. I asked Vern. He said, no way. Huh. I will not be interviewed. You're going to corner me. You're going to make me look dumb, all this. I said, I promise you. I will ask you. Here's the questions. Like 90% of these questions is what I'll ask. I might stray a little bit, but we'll stick with this. We did the interview. He loved it. He hollers at me not too long after Hey, we should start a radio show. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, what do you mean? And so, you know, we, we talked and talked and we came up with River Radio. We started doing interviews around river topics, mostly related to the Dolores River. And then the, the thing is with the Dolores, at some years it just doesn't run. It comes out of the mountains always, but it's getting captured in this reservoir, McPhee. And if it doesn't run out of the dam, there's no spill down there. So there wasn't going to be a spill. And he's like, you know, there's really no topics for us. You just take the radio show. You do what you want. So I expanded out and started getting into national topics and even traveled with my iPad to Patagonia one year and recorded an interview down there. Nice. Um, it all happens. And eventually, you know, kind of just shut it down at the radio station for various reasons. And in my mind, podcasting now is a thing, right? And yeah. I listen to podcasts and I love radio and I'm like, I should start a podcast. Nine months. I swear, nine months I would wake up every day and go do my job, whatever that job was at the time. But in the back of my mind, I was like, I should start a podcast. And so I just did one day. I just called a couple of friends. I was like, hey, what's the gear I should get? You know, my radio friends. And I got the, they said, get a Zoom, get a shotgun mic, get this, et cetera, get some cards, get some good headphones. And I did. And I got a Pelican box, bought it all, put it together. And yeah, that's, that's the, that's <laughs> it amazing. all starts right there. Yeah, it's pretty fun. That's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. So, and now you're into it. And now, I mean, you've got topics covering, like you said, you cover some conservation, some hot topics. I was, you know, just in some recent episodes you've had, you know, I mean, you covered the the Colorado River, um, which you're talking about it, right? Water levels. We're in kind of a, I guess, a drought still. I mean, I guess in some areas, although there was a good rain, I think, in the where you're at this year. But talk about that a little bit. How do you, with your podcast now, how do you choose your topics as you look ahead? When I first started, it was kind of like shooting from the hip, like what cool topic is going on and what can I grab onto really quick? Like History of the Groover is an example that I thought, I want to know, like, what's the history of this thing? I make a couple of phone calls and it turns into this really quick paced research uh, that turns out to be a great episode. But what I was finding was I was I was struggling to feel settled because I was constantly like, I don't know what the next show is. I don't know. I don't know. And I was having to just work these really long days and you know, just do it fast paced and kind of blind and not really know what was around the next corner. So I've gotten into looking ahead. Like right now I'm starting to gather content for 2024 and it helps me kind of like create a theme for a year and 
assess how I might travel because I do like to get to and on the rivers that I'm talking about as much as I can. Sometimes I'm doing the digital distance thing, but if I can get there, I want to. Um, and then also like tie things together and reach out to people who will be really good contacts for that. It also lets me get into bigger, like really bigger, more complex topics that you can't just call a week ahead and ask for an interview that like you need to be planning for. So that's, you know, that's how I'm looking at it. I, and I, I live in the Colorado river basin and that matters to me, but I also think it's important. You know, the, the idea with the podcast is that I want to, I want to help people who love rivers, love them even more and know more about them. And so I think it's important for me to reach out to other basins. Um, I just came up from California. I'm doing some stuff on the Klamath river. All right. That'll come out later this year. I did some stuff on the snake river and the, and the Columbia river last year around uh, the salmon up there. Um, last year I also went to the East coast, which I have all that material is about to come out. I'm working on an episode around the Gauley river right now. Um, I have other stuff around the, um, Run some stuff in North Carolina. That's awesome. So I think like it's easy for me to do this stuff right here because it's it's like the back of my hand. I know these places and these people and really understand these concepts. But I try and reach out as much as I can. And I want to start. I actually am, I'm looking to talk to a, a, a new river friend soon about Ecuador and South America, which is the place I've been. But this guy really knows those rivers and the situations and the kind of the hardcore mining that's starting to happen. That's really detrimental there. So. Yeah, reaching out, connecting with people, probably similar to what you're doing, you know, the way you learn and meet folks and it just leads one thing to another and you got a cool topic. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we we find that uh, I try to, as much as I can, you know, get feedback from listeners and, and let them guide the show, you know, but there are topics where I'm just curious about, I want to hear about it. So I think that's where it starts out, the curiosity, right? That's kind of probably your number one skill um, as a podcaster which sounds yeah. like that's kind of what you do. And, but yeah, like, like for example, the Groover, you know, that podcast episode you did, I mean, we've got some funny stories about the Groover and you did a history of the Groover, which is interesting because of the Grand Canyon. It seems like there's a lot, I mean, the Klamath River is huge right now. I want to hear a little bit of that. The, you know, you mentioned the Columbia, the snake, but the Colorado is, I mean, maybe the best one of an example of a river of like just the history, you know, the fact that it doesn't make it to the ocean. You know, like that thing right there just is kind of probably a lot of people don't even realize that. But talk about where we're at. Maybe just give us a snippet on that episode you did where you covered there's multiple lakes there without going in deep. Talk about where that's at. And is there some potential for um, dam removal up there? Yeah, that's a huge question. Um, and I would say that like that that's a topic I probably covered more than any of them because I live here. And so there's lots of episodes. Um, but I think dam removal, I doubt it. Those things, for one, they're huge. I mean, they're just like so much concrete went into them. And I don't think that that will come out. Like literally, I don't think it'll be taken out. But I think that there is potential for repurposing of how Glen Canyon Dam is is used. Glen Canyon Dam is the big one at the Arizona-Utah border that creates like Powell that is just upstream of the Grand Canyon. And it could potentially be repurposed the reality is in the Colorado Basin that there's less water than was expected. When those dams were built, they were built around an idea that there's 15 million acre feet, which is this huge amount of water. And there's a lot of historical work that's been done to prove that that science was just not accurate. Like, and it was, it was intentionally ignored. And so we're dealing with like we, you and I, and all of our peers are dealing with the ramifications of building infrastructure that begs for 15 million acre feet when really we get around 12 and 
with climate change, it's changing. And, and there's always the debate of like, is it real? What causes it? But the, all the math and the science and, the, and the, the, the recent history shows that the way the water comes into the basin is changing. So I don't think it'll get removed, but I think that there's going to be a lot of push. I think there's going to be a lot of things that'll happen that'll move the water to mead. And I don't think it's like really, like there's, there's two ways that happens. There's humans choosing to do that, or there's like by choice of, oh, let's do that. Or there's just our hand is forced by the way the weather comes in, by the way the climates are delivering water to the basin. And this has been a big snow year. You know, I right. did a story on that, and we have had an immense amount of water out here, and it's been awesome. But it's already dry again. Like, we just had planes flying over our house recently for doing firework. The grasses are drying again. And, you know, it's it. we haven't really had the monsoons one winter is not the answer like it and it's not there's a lot of language that says it's a drought but the real climate scientist doesn't call it a drought we call it aridification and i shouldn't say we because the scientists tell me and they define it and i then use that language but aridification is the further drying out of our climate in the southwest and that's what we're seeing and i don't really think so drought would in, imply that we are going to return to a wetter time in the near future uh, because the drought will end. But uh, the reality that, that the deeper science says is that this is the new normal. So don't expect it to end. Uh, one big winter is huge. It's awesome. There is talk that we might have another big winter coming on the way, which would be really fun because um, it's really fun here when it when there's a lot of water. It's really a beautiful experience when there's snow and there's big runoff in the in the spring. But uh, even two years doesn't change it. It would, it would put Lake Powell in another like it would probably put it up to about 65% of full, which would be, uh, it would slow down all the changes, all the talk about the dams coming out or being repurposed. But I mean, it's a complicated question. <laughs> no, it is. You did that well. So rid, what, ridification? Uh, arid. So arid, the word arid, and then efficacion. <laughs> Aridification. Aridification. Yeah, I got you. Okay. No, that's awesome because that's something I hadn't heard about and it makes sense. So thinking that it's just going to be more of the norm as opposed to just a, a little few years of a drought because that's kind of what we're getting. But what you're talking about with the dam is literally instead of blasting out the dam, like keeping, you know, the dams there, but just controlling the water. So there's maybe more natural areas above some dams. People can experience what it used to be like. That's kind of what you're, like one possible scenario, right? Yeah, that, that kind of thing. And it would entail like building these these bigger tunnels on the bottom of the dam because right now the water kind of has to be pumped up if it goes super super low which it's not at right now but it was actually about to hit that uh, but if it goes super low then the water has to be kind of pumped up and over this particular part of the lower end of the dam but if if new tunnels were bored through the bottom of the dam the river would actually just kind of flow naturally through it and those could be closed off if needed or desire uh, approached but yeah, putting in bigger bypass tubes at the bottom, and I'm not the perfect scientist. I, there, there's a lot of other engineering experts that know this way better. I hear this, I hear that through interviews is where, where I've learned about this. But it's yeah, talking about something like that. That's it. When you're doing your episodes, do you you have a lot of conservation topics? Do you always try to intertwine those into your podcast episodes, or do you just kind of let it flow? And some are focused on conservation, some are focused on other things. How do you look at that? It's interesting you ask that because I'm thinking about that a lot right now. Um, yeah, in the past, I've gone for, let's go over here and do this topic. This is heavy-duty conservation. This might be a little hard to listen to because it's really um, downer, science-y, yeah, and it's a downer, right? It's all that. It's like, oh, man, another bummer story. And then over here on the other side, I bring in these crazy rescue stories or crazy stories of going 
from you know Wyoming to Mexico in a boat on the on right. river or whatever it is, you know, like so mixing that in. But I'm looking at in in 2024. I've been talking to some folks about some wild stories that they were a part of, you know, their own personal experience on the river and how I can attach more science. So like letting a, a through line be the wild story that these people are telling, but then bring in scientific information, experts on whatever the, the sidebar is that helps explain the phenom that they, they went through. So it's kind of a delivery of excitement and information learning at the same time, trying to, yeah, stop the downer side a little bit. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Cause I mean, your show is a little more produced. I mean, typically what we do here is like interview show, but you do some other, maybe talk about that. Maybe talk about your production of your podcast for those that haven't listened to it yet, or maybe they're new. What do they expect to see? How do you produce your show? Does it take you hours and hours, days, or how does that look? Yes, it takes hours and hours <laughs> and days. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, so, okay, for instance, Golly. Golly River's out in West Virginia. Really sweet river, and, and, I, and I went out there last year and, and gained all the audio. Uh, went out for Golly Fest, interviewed people at the festival, interviewed the guy who prevented a second dam from going on the river, interviewed people on the water. I went down the river and actually forgot to turn off my microphone on my phone and I have the whole audio of me flipping and swimming and oh wow all this stuff yeah it's kind of funny and uh interviewed lots of people who were there for the festival so I have hours of audio and now I have to go back and listen take notes and bring it down and pare it down into the content that explains this long story of the golly and how it's kind of one of the east coast baseline stories of of river conservation while there are still dams on it um, some of the great whitewater there was protected from being further taken away. So uh, the process is like lots of, I mean, the front end is researching what's the topic, finding out kind of some of the people I want to talk to, go to the place, do all the recording, come home, save it, save it in so many different places so I don't ever lose the audio. And then, uh, yeah, work through it, pare it down, pare it down, pare it down. And it's definitely hours. And I'm, I'm not very talented at it like i think in the end the product is pretty good yeah I, it's really a, a slow process for me it's all me sometimes i might ask for different people to listen to it for me but it's the editing is hard because i'm listening to the same thing over and over and over and over again and i can't tell if it's getting any better and i actually have to just walk away so that slows it down too because i just need to like quit for an hour or quit for a day right 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 it's a, it's a thing it's definitely lots of lots of work. Yeah, definitely. And have you always, if you go back to the start, have you always done that since you know you first started? Were you doing this more produced type of show? So the radio stuff, um, some of the radio stuff originally was a little bit edited, but I was this was back when editing software was still pretty new, and I wasn't very good at it. So I was actually still cutting tape and like going from tape to tape, and so I didn't do a lot of editing. I did some, but not a ton. But then when I got into the second radio set, where I my river radio show was happening. I just went to the station and I had this rad dude, Tom Yoder, who's just great producer, good friend. And he's now the station manager. He would, he would run the board. He would make faces at me. He's like, stop oh, nice. talking about that or be faster or, Oh, that was cool. Whatever. Like it was yeah. very helpful. And he would do a quick little batch of editing, but it was really just a, a through line conversation that we would just put on. And sometimes those were live. Which mm, wow. That that's a, yeah. Live is not easy. No, and I actually one of the ones I got to do was with Yvonne Chenard live. Which oh wow, was a trip because uh, because Yvonne Chenard is who he is in the way. <laughs> yeah, and just kind of roll with his his uh, kind of his punches, and uh, so there was less production than you know the first episode. Honestly, it, this has a lot to do with it. the very first episode. I was in Cataract Canyon with my friends, and 
good friend Mike Dehoff. He says, "Hey, these guys are about to tell the story from 1984. Come on over." And I was like, "All right, cool." I'm like, right, "I'm gonna get you know get my stuff. I'm gonna come over and sit down for the campfire and listen to the story." And he's like, "No, they're gonna tell the story." You know, and like I'm like, "Okay, I'm coming." And no, bring your recording gear. Oh, okay. So I bring my recording gear and I and I set it up and it turns out to be an amazing story. I go home with that audio and I literally think, oh, I'll just clean it up a little bit, like cut out the breaks and all this. I listen to it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these guys told this story in the most circular fashion. And I can't expect anyone out there who doesn't understand where we are to understand the story. So that was the beginning of massively layered production of me narrating in information and cutting and pasting and moving, like making the timeline go from this day to this day in their stories, opposed to them just swirling around. Like we tell stories, like we tell stories in circles. I needed it to be a little bit more flat to bring it together. So that was the beginning of that layered production style, which I really like. It's a pain. It's really painful. I'm envious of people like you who can like pull off interviews with people and have this sweet through line. I don't know that I have that skill. I, I think mine is, I have so many breaks where I have to take a, I have to stop and like oh, recollect my thoughts and look at my notes and just these big long pauses. But yeah, just two different styles and they definitely both have their place. And uh, mine is the other slow, painful. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I think that I always think about it as we evolve, you know, and we're doing a lot of content and right now, I don't think that's something, you know, I'm set up to do, but I think longer term it could be, you know, that's, what's cool about listening yeah. to your show is yeah. like, okay, this is definitely, I could see us doing something like this, but, but like I said, I enjoy the conversations, you know, so I just love talking to people. And, and I love that you said the cataract candy because that in 1984, we've had, I'm trying to think of the episode number. I always, we're approaching 500. So I lost track of, I used to memorize everything at 200. I knew all the episode numbers, but now it's gone, but we had a great, um, oh, uh, with Pete, uh, I think it was, um, it was on the Canyon. You probably know the whole story, right? Of some of those famous people, but talk about that. What is Cataract Canyon and what is 1984? What's the significance and where is that story? Can we listen to that somewhere? Yeah, you bet. So Cataract Canyon, you know, Cataract means by definition, like rapid water, boiling water, things in the water, disturbing the water. And so Cataract Canyon is in Utah. It's on the Colorado river. It's inside Canyonlands National Park. It's just downstream from the, the confluence of the Green and Colorado Rivers, which means southern Wyoming and that batch of the Rockies and then the majority of Colorado, but on the on the west side of the Continental Divide, all that water is coming in to Cataract Canyon. And if things time right, if there is a huge snowpack, even just a, an average snowpack in the green side and an average snowpack on the Colorado side, and they melt and they melt at the same time and they both come down together and they deliver that water into cataract, the rapids can be huge. I mean, like terrifyingly huge. And, you know, like I think this year, I think it hit 60 plus thousand CFS, which is just a ton of water. Yeah. I mean, just so much water. I've been able to see it um, I was trying to become a, an, a guide with oars and row baggage boats. And they're like, you got to come down and do the, you got to ride on someone else's boat. And let us kind of see you and let you see the water. We went down at 45 and 50,000 CFS. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. We flipped both weeks. It no was kidding. intense. It was terrifying. Cause the second swim I swam for probably six minutes was in the water and I got pulled out of the water. I couldn't even, I couldn't even move. Yeah. No kidding. So you're just like float. So you're literally six minutes i mean through forty thousand cfs are you like half of the time underwater how does that look like no you know i had a really good i had a high float pfd 
twenty nine pounds of flotation, and it. But what's crazy is it barely kept me up because the downpull in the water was so intense. But I knew where the two big rapids. Yeah, were. we flipped. We flipped in this thing called the claw, whatever, and then which is now kind of gone again. But whatever, we're going down, and I knew that this big rapid, Satan's gut, was coming. And this is a thing that takes eighteen foot boats and just kind of swallows them. I was like, I'm not going in there. And so I swam to the right like I was some sort of Olympic swimmer, you know, like this kid from from the Alabama River, maybe, but a lot longer. And I swam and swam and swam. And I actually swam so far. I swam into, over to the other side of the river into this other rapid. I forget the name of it, but I avoid Satan's gut. And then at that point, I'm just kind of floating, but in this really swift water. And at some point, I'm going towards a big log jam. You got to swim the other direction. And people are yelling, like, get over this way. Get over that way. And like, it's so loud. And it's so wide. It's so fast. Yeah, I was just swimming hard, and then I was just exhausted, and I was looking around, and everybody was gone because all the boats were going faster past me, and I was just by myself. Ended up getting scooped up by another boat, but um, so that those rapids are they can be really, really big, and I mean big, like Grand Canyon size scale, where like on most rivers we use the one through six system, but in the Grand Canyon and on Cataract they use the one through ten because there's just so many more details to them. So those rapids are big, and they get bigger with more volume and um, they just are huge waves. So you're at the campfire with the 1984. Was that, was that an event? Cause I'm, and I'm looking back at my notes too. We had uh, Pete McBride on in episode 166 and he talked about Martin's boat, the Grand Canyon. And, and we were kind of doing a series on drift boats and things like that. But yeah, talk about that. Is that 84? Now why, what's the significance there of that story? So what happens in 84 um, is that there's a huge amount of snow in the West, in the Intermountain West, uh, the Rockies, and it doesn't melt. Like it stays. I was just actually doing research on this the other day. It stays until like June. There's still tons and tons of snow, and then it gets warm. It had just been a really weird cold spring, and all of a sudden it's warm and it starts raining. So rain on snow, which accelerates the melt of the snow, but also adds the rain content, and you just get floods. And the water comes raging down. And this is in 84. And there was some ability to predict what was going to happen. There was some technology, but it was, there was not the web and there was not cell phones. And so there wasn't as much information coming. The water just comes down downstream so fast. And Lake Powell was still working its way to being full. It was built in the sixties and had never fully come to full. It was just kind of getting full at this time. And so they were so psyched. They're so proud. They're like, they're like, right on. We're about to get this thing full. And here comes the most water they've seen in oh, wow. a long time. And it's about to go over the top of the dam. I mean, Damn. it's coming in so fast. Like, so that was the nature of the story is that these river guys, these old timers, I mean, these dudes are like, they were back there running dories back in, in 84. And they were, they were young dudes. And uh, the river, it's above 100,000 CFS, Jeez. which is just so much water coming in. And so what's happening to the dam is that the water's getting there and it's potentially, they, they can't let enough out of the regular turbine system that creates electricity. So they have to move on and use the, the side tubes to let the water out, which uh, the, it's not the over the top spill. It's like through the sides of the, the whole infrastructure there. And there's the great book, The Emerald Mile, that Kevin Fedarko wrote. Those guys actually do talks on these topics, Pete and, and Kevin. But The Emerald Mile, Kevin Fedarko, that book is it doesn't matter what kind of river person you are. If you like it, that story is so cool. It's so threaded with history and a wild story. But it's the story of what's happening with the dam and another thing on the Grand Canyon side of speed run. But the water level is so intense that they actually build the top portion of the dam. They put 
plywood up there. They stand eight foot by four foot pieces of plywood up on end, build a, in a, a kind of a barrier across the top to keep the water from splashing over the top of the dam. And it worked <laughs> and they didn't lose the dam. They came really close. So the story I captured is these three people who were up there running commercial boats and the Grand Canyon is regulated by the dam, but the water coming through cataract is not. So these rapids are massive. They're dealing with a hundred thousand CFS. Jeez. And that was their story. And it involved the, the episode is called, it's my very first episode. It's called helicopters, high water and money. And that's what's in there. And, um, or maybe it's called high water helicopters and money. It's one of those, it, but that's all in there. It's like massive high water running dories, running other boats, What's happening to people, the swims, a helicopter, a second <laughs> helicopter, some weird things with money and uh, and their story. And it's a really fun episode. It's a really fun episode. That is fun. Yeah, I remember when we did that one with Pete and I was trying to track down Kevin for Darko and I don't think we ever got him on the podcast, but that is the Emerald Mile is the amazing story. And yeah, it's such an interesting thing because it's the, like I said, it's everybody knows about it. It's the Grand Canyon, it's the Colorado, but it's got a lot of issues, you know, and things that people are working on. And so that's pretty interesting. I want to, I want to touch on, we've got a lot of conservation uh, topics we could touch on. Uh, one, you know, just to switch a little bit, you know, river etiquette was something I was thinking about coming into this. And this is partly because I've had some situations over the years with questions on river etiquette. People have those questions. I know it, de- it probably varies depending on the river, but what do you say to somebody that says river etiquette? What should you know? Do you have podcast content? Have you ever covered that topic before? You know, j- just this year I did an episode on LNT, Leave No Trace, the the national program that came out of Knowles, uh, the National Outdoor Leadership School, and and we cover that. You know, and we cover it in a way. I think it's a, I think it's a challenging thing to talk about because there are so many different ways people want to care for or not care for a landscape and a riverscape, and so. Do you take a groover and carry out your poop or do you just dig cat holes? Uh, do you pee on the beach or pee in the river? Do you leave a campfire ring? Do you burn your tin cans in the fire and just don't worry about it? Or do you take everything with you and use a fire pan? Uh, so the, that episode was kind of like trying to explore it through that, like the wide variety of people who come to rivers. And I think, I think river L and T, I think it's so important because we as river people, it's like a trail or like maybe a large forested area or a national park or a national conservation area. There's a lot of places you can go, but a river, it's one path and we're all taking the same path. We're probably camping at the same places, having lunch, hiking. And, you know, when you start to leave your junk behind, it, it really shows up. And it also impacts to me, what's most important is it impacts the wildlife that depends on those places that they get less comfortable coming like big game you know ungulates big mammals small ones they get uncomfortable not feel they don't feel safe coming to various places uh to do whatever they do with the river swim it you know to move across it to drink from it to bring their their young whatever that is and i think that that to me that's more than anything is like why we care for these places is to let the wild places be be wild right 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 yeah that's it is i think that's perfect and Leave No Trace, we did an episode on that as well. I think it is a, a good topic to think about because, yeah, there's all different levels. You know, there's some areas where you're in a canyon where you're literally on a beach. There's no place really to poop, you know, and then there's other places where maybe they're bigger, they're larger. But And we've had some situations. I, I think I get that. I think they um, – and even I think one of your sponsors or maybe it was a past sponsor is one of the Groover, right? There's lots yeah. of Groovers out there. Well, talk about that just on the surface. So I, I'm kind of a little curious on that. You got the Groover where you – 
you know, where you poop into the groover, but then you got these wag bags and stuff. Talk about that. Is there a one method better than the other? Because you hear some different things. You know, the wag bag is, so that's the bag. Yeah, I'm sure maybe people know whatever. It's this little bag you can take. It's pretty tough and it's got chemicals in it that breaks down your poop and you can carry it out and it doesn't really, it doesn't expand. So the th- you know, people used to try and use trash bags and they would expand because all the gases and <laughs> they would explode and they would be nasty. Oh, no kidding. That's see, I don't know that. So, wow. So that's what happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, the God. guys, I, like, these old time guys I used to work with, like that I worked under when I was young and they were older, would talk about throwing these big trash bags full of poop into a dumpster. They would just find dumpsters oh. and, and they, you know, just became this just like not just disgusting, but really unsafe sure. situation. So, yeah, the wag bags have these chemicals in them that allow the gases to not happen. Um, I don't really understand how that happens, but whatever, it works. I use them. And, you know, the, the wag bag versus the groover, wow, it's a conversation. Yeah. Is that a big, because I, I have no idea. I'm guessing, so that could be a big debate. Somebody's like on one side or the other, almost like dam removal. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, I think honestly, I don't know that the debate will go to the place of like, you should do this versus this. I think the story is always going to be, just don't leave your poop in the canyon because there's not enough room. Yeah, yeah. Get it out. If you That's use a it. wag bag, great. If you use a groover, great. And I think it comes down to personal choice. Like anymore, when I go on smaller trips with just me or just like two or three buddies, we all just take our own setup, our own wag bags and deal with it ourselves, have our own little trash container, a little rocket box that we put it in. And because the groover, you go home with a groover, you got a big old tank of poop you got to clean up. Today's episode is sponsored by Daiichi Fishing Hooks, a leader in the fly fishing industry and still the world's sharpest hook. Daiichi has been producing premier fishing hooks for the past 30 years, a timeless brand with a bright new future. And I have a great connection with Daiichi going back about as long as I can remember. I've tied thousands of flies using those Daiichi hooks. I've tied many dry flies, wet flies, steelhead flies on their vast assortment of hooks. Never once had an issue on strength or quality, so very excited to get the good word out right now. Tempered with carbon-rich steel, Daiichi offers superior penetration without compromising the hook's structural integrity. If you want to support this podcast and a great hook company right now who has been producing high-quality hooks longer than most, check them out right now at wetflyswing.com slash Daiichi. That's D-A-I-I-C-H-I, Daiichi. You support this podcast and local businesses by clicking through that link to Daiichi. Okay, now back to the show. Well, here's our, you know, let me just tell you my story, Sam, because you're going to probably get a kick out of this. So we know we've used the groovers. We've had rivers in our area where they required, you know, they didn't require it and now they require it. So we used it. So we went up to Canada on this remote trip. It was like 10 days into this remote river canyon. And we're like, all right, we're bringing the Groover. You know, my buddy had the Groover. Shannon, you know, it was like the, it was the ammo box one. I can't remember the name of that one, but we took it in there and we, we carried our poop. I mean, we filled that thing up. It was 10 days, four guys. Yeah. yeah. And we got out and we're like, all right, where are we dumping this thing? (laughs) And the Canadians were like, dude, are you serious? You put your poop in a can? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So there was no poop uh, facilities. And so we literally, this is, I mean, we took it home. I mean, one of our buddies had to go up to, you know, days or whatever it was later and had to put it in. So there's this whole thing. It's always been for me too. It's just like, wow, this whole thing. So how do you dispose? I mean, I know there's centers and stuff like that, but is it, are people pouring this in their toilet? There's all sorts of things. Oh, it's such a good question. And I should say that like, 
I think most people who do their own private trips out here and are using groovers, like there's always the story of someone who let it sit over the winter yep. and it oh, froze God. and you had to deal with it in the spring and they're like, I don't want to go on a trip because my groovers oh, full from God. last year. No. There's always that person. And um, I've always been lucky enough to not be that person. Knock on wood. But um, so, the, yeah, the method is, so like my groover, I have a Selway Fab groover, Selway Fabrication out of Idaho. It's great. And it's got, it's built with a lid that locks down tight. And then when I get home, on the lid, I attach a garden hose. Like I go to an RV dump is where you go. And like a place that's ready to take your containerized poop. <laughs> and you hook the, you, you have special hoses or they have them for you. You hook a garden hose at the top and at the bottom is a bigger outlet that's like four inch tube. And you hook up a tube there. And then that tube slinkies over. It's like a slinky. It goes over into the, the outlet in the concrete and you... It's a, I mean, you're still like, you should wear gloves and I yeah. wear a mask and I have glasses on and you take, you turn on the water and you just kind of like, you hold this big tank and you're like kind of rolling it around in, in the air to get the water in all the corners and get the poop out. And, uh, and it just goes out and it, like, it sounds ridiculously gross and terrifying and, but it's not that big of a deal. Like it really isn't. You get it done. Yeah. You're spraying it out essentially. Right. Yeah. And you take some cleanup, like you, you don't touch you just use like a toilet brush if you need to. You spray it. You use some soaps, bleach. Use bleach for sure. And you're done. You go home and like and just put it outside for a week and let it just have some sunshine and fresh air. And there you go. Okay, perfect. So this is good. I'm glad we went down that because I think that uh, you know there are places that you have to have them. But I think you know as more people are on this planet, we're probably going to see more of this. There's probably going to be more areas yeah. that weren't Groover required and now they are. And the name Groover. So we'll put a link to that episode because I, I the name Groover is interesting. I think you covered talk about that a little yep, bit. Yep. Um, and everything else we talked about today, we'll, we'll definitely put links out. So that's good. I want to get back um, real quick on the river etiquette. One, so we talked about leave no trace. One of the other parts of etiquette is just people on the river, right? So you got a lot of people on the river. And the thing we had happen was we ran into, we had a camp, all right? So it was a busy day. It was 4th of July weekend, probably the busiest week of the year. We camped at this place and like we were at the camp that everybody wanted for like, like, are you leaving? When are you leaving? You know? And so, I mean, it got to a point where like people were in our camp for hours, like waiting, you know, <laughs> it was just this, it really got actually aggressive at one point where, you know, and, and so it's this whole, so my question for you is where do people learn about proper river? If they don't know what is proper river etiquette, how do you handle lots of people on the river? What's your just general high level stuff? It's a good question because it's becoming more and more of a thing that's happening to folks. Um, one answer is I don't go when it's busy. Like I will, I will honestly like avoid the Memorial Day weekend kind of float weekend. Just go. I go during the week. I go when there's not people. I make my work schedule flip so that I just work on a weekend and I go play on the weekdays sometimes if I if that's what it needs to be. If I know I'm going to those places, I might try and launch hours before or hours after so you're not going down the river with the wave of people who are all hunting campsites i try anymore i go with smaller and smaller groups because the big groups take up a lot of space and um and then with small groups you can slide into different places but then when that's going to happen i think communicating with groups at the boat ramp when you're putting on you know hey what's up where are you going where are you going okay this is my thoughts are you cool like this that you know just talk it out so you're not racing each other down the river you know, there used to, there still is, I think the camp runner, like the groups will send out someone in a, in a kayak or something faster and which is super lame and not like on some rivers that are regulated, that's not legal and you can just kick those people out, but then that gets weird. Oh, it's not legal. So, so that's kind of what happened to us. I think we had a, a camp runner 
ahead and it got weird after that so right so some places they realize that and they make it like it's first come first or, or even does well some places probably have designated camping even right yeah some rivers definitely do have designated spots and you and you actually sign up for those campsites before but on places that don't you know i think just communicating with people and not having the expectation that you're going to have the best spot you know that just sharing it going back different times and getting the spot when there's less people it's a real hard deal, you know. That aggression that you're talking about it happens. It happens in, in in my neighborhood here sometimes, and I just try and avoid those scenes and move on. And but also call people out who are being lame. And if it needs to be dealt with post trip, if those rivers are regulated, you know, have that conversation with the rangers, which is a lame thing to have to do. Like I, it sucks to go home from vacation, even if it's just a weekend run, and you you feel like you want to make a phone call, like you know, I know. be that guy, but. You know, when people are treating you like, I mean, there are other options to get, I don't want want to say the other option is, but like another path that is really lame is to have this like fear or this physical altercation that is not why any of us go to the river. Right. And so no going home and like doing what you need to do with, with the, the systems in place. Uh, yeah. If it has to go there, it goes there. And I've been a part of that before seeing some really lame stuff happen in places yeah, I've, I've made those phone calls and, uh, and I've been a ranger before and I was very much engaged in keeping that kind of conflict down and like talking to people at the front, at the ramp about being open to other options and communicating with people and don't have expectations that you're going to get that best place. And, you know, another thing I want to say that I think is a, a conflict zone that's happening more and more is the speaker, like the mobile music. Speaker oh, right. That is you know, I have I have one right here on my desk that I use around the, here when I'm doing things, but I don't take them with me because I go out there because I want I'm going to hear the birds in the water. But I think you know when people bring those, it can really become a problem because if they're in the camp next door or across the river or even a half a mile or a mile down the river, you know, sounds travel on water different than they travel on land, and it sucks to be in camp and listen to someone's really bad music. And what even if it's good music? I don't want to hear it out there. And that's a conflict zone as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Just talking, just talking to people, being cool, being mellow. Like, don't and yeah, then watching, watching for how much alcohol and drugs are in the conversation too, because that just really triggers people. Be cool with people talking, figure it out. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think that's a good, good reminder. Just chatting with people. Same thing with any <clears throat> anything outdoors. You know, fishing, whatever, hunting, knowing who you're around is is a good starting point. That's awesome. Absolutely. Right on. Well, talk about, you know, I think that, and again, that, that river etiquette, I think is a, a conversation that, you know, depends on your area and we'll, we'll try to highlight a few things there that people can dig into a little bit, but talk about your, uh, your podcast. I'm just curious about how your tech, how you do it now. I'm always interested in this because I love to hear help new podcasters get into it, but talk about that. What are you recording typically on? And it sounds like you're in the field a lot. Do you have a studio? How do you do it? So like right now I'm sitting in, I'm air quoting the studio, which is a garage which consists of a, a MacBook Pro with a lot of memory and a lot of power because audio files are big. And then I have an extra screen. I have a, a mic on a stand right now. I've got one of these sweet Shure MB7 USB mics that sound great and a good pair of headphones and a magic mouse. I actually really I learned, it took me a while to figure out that having this, the, the secondary mouse mm. so you can really get like specific with your grabs on the, on the editing software. Oh, yeah. What's the Magic Mouse in, again? It's an Apple product. It's white. It's got a scroll pad on top and a click. I mean, it's, just, it's kind of very Apple style. It's very simple but very powerful in what it does. And it just lets me when I edit. So when I go into, into my editing software on my laptop, I use Adobe Audition right now. 
you know, you have to get really precise with where you grab on the audio wave file to clip out sounds you don't want or like integrate sounds that maybe you need to mesh some things together. The magic mouse really helps me get very specific with where I grab because the trackpad, <laughs> the trackpad and my like big bear paw hands don't really go well together. And uh, so, yeah, the, the magic mouse is cool. Um, and then I have a portable setup in uh, right here. My Pelican boxes. I have one very specific one that I take with me. It's the size of a briefcase. And in there I have a Zoom. So Zoom, there's the Zoom like video conferencing, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the company Zoom that I think you know them. You said you have one of their the yeah, devices. I do. They make great recorders, and I have in there the Zoom, uh, the Zoom H8. Oh, H8. Oh, cool. Yeah, because it has it allows me to plug in six mics if I want to, and I've done that where I've I've had up to five guests in remote locations, but it's usually less. But I have it that way, so I have the Zoom H8, and I have a shotgun mic that can go on the top that I can use for interviews. I have an XY mic that can go on the top that I can use for like more ambient sound interviews i can plug in um i have lavalier mics a little wireless clip on your your shirt mics i have another shotgun mic another non like a condenser mic i just kind of have a kit with that stuff i have my headphones in there my good like over the ear headphones i have a set of backup earbuds extra cards extra batteries i have a little baby tripod that fits in your hand just to keep the, the recorder from making noise right you got it all yeah i try and have it all in there so that I can go, and it's in a waterproof box, and that thing has been—it's been in cars, airplanes, boats, all kinds of boats. It's been in backpacks, and um, that's the setup. And then I go record, and then as soon as I get to service, I start uploading to the cloud so that the audio files are, are protected. And then eventually, it makes its way into the laptop, and then out to the podcast—you know—the platform where people can listen. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a mobile thing. Like I really like. I'll do the interviews. I have interviews coming up where I will do them over Zoom or FaceTime. And for those, I actually, I learned to ship a mic to people. Oh, you do? You ship a mic? Yeah. You know, I learned that from uh, the Tim Ferriss podcast. He was talking about how he does it. And he's like, I ship a mic. It costs 80 bucks. And I was like, that's a chunk of cash. But I really believe in good audio, like having the best audio possible. So I ship the mic. I teach the people really quick how to use it. It's a super basic mic and they just plug it in. And they have good audio. I have good audio. So if I do the Zoom, that's the setup. But I really believe if I can get to the river and be on the water or in a camp or in an office, you know, like I went to Los Angeles and interviewed the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, and which is serving 19 million people water. I took my, my recording kit up to the 12th floor of this highly secure office and did interviews there and did them out at their recycled water plant. And um, so in the field is really 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 fun that's my preference that's perfect i love it so this is good yeah and, and there's a lot of ways to do it but i love the shipping so when you ship it um do you i mean are you doing a lot of that so i mean you ship it to every single talk about that how does that work because there is some cost there and do you ever have any issues with the shipping no i use sweetwater sweetwater.com is where i get my you know they i think they're the best distributor provider of audio gear and i you know i have an account with them and they have everything. It's great. They're, and they're amazing for customer service. They all are trained really well in the gear that they sell. So I just, I have it saved in my, in my account. I go in and, and ship the mic. It costs 80 bucks, everything included. It, it's a mic. I add a foam cover. So it's a few more bucks. It might be 86 and it goes to the people. It has a little mic stand and it has the cables and I just leave it with them. The thing is I tried to do it differently. I tried to have a set of mics, yeah, like three shipping mics. And I got the whole package and I had like the little box that went in. 
Well, the first person I sent that to, it worked great. She used it. We had a great interview. She sounded awesome. But then shipping it back was so painful for her. Right. She had to go to the post office twice. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so much to ask of her. She's got kids. You know, everyone has a life. And to, like, get this mic back to me. So I just kind of eat it. I eat the cost. and But I only do that. I mean, I might do that six times a year oh because a lot of people anymore have mics oh they have mics right yeah a lot of people do and then the other thing i've I've learned interesting is that facetime audio on an iphone is really good audio yeah it is and so people can use like if they just use like their headphones and kind of hold their headphone mic in their mouth it's it's actually good i know it's good enough and so you know i'd rather save the 80 than uh spend it so that's awesome no that's what we found too i think the audio obviously it's a huge part of it you know, and uh, yeah, the Apple iPhone has been a kind of a savior, really, because it's got such a good internal mic. But um, I've also found we tend to all send a link out sometimes and just say, hey, here's a here's a professional microphone that's like $60. If you want to get it, you know what I mean? Like the the we're using the MV Sure, which is, a, I think, a few hundred bucks. But there's a one I used for years was the uh, eight. Well, the one I recommend now is the Samsung Q2U. And it's, um, I mean, it's literally like 60 bucks right now for a full on professional mic. And um, so it's very high quality. You know, the Shure, like you're using, you know, MV7 comes from, I think, the Shure, what was it, the um, SMB7, which was the more yep. expensive, like the, the one Michael Jackson used in Thriller and stuff, right? So right, right. Joe Rogan <laughs> uses. But I think the yeah. one that the MV7 is great because it's got USB and XLR, which makes it nice because you can do, you know, use yeah. either one. But that's what I'm talking on. Yeah, that's what you're on now. And you sound great. Yeah, it yeah. sounds. Yeah, it sounds good. So you're the same. That's good to know about the Samsung because I'm sending out what I send to people is the Audio Technica 2100X, I think. But if there's one that's even cheaper, I'm going to look at that because it all adds up. And uh, yeah, good to know. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So good. We hit on your, your, well, let's just go back to, you know, we're kind of thinking podcasts. I'm trying to get a summary of, of your podcast. What else should we be thinking about? If we're thinking about past episodes, people that are new to your show, where would you send them? If somebody's brand new, where do you tell them to start with the first one, go to specific episodes? What do you do? There's a couple guys who just got to know the podcast because we did a cleanup, river cleanup in Denver together, and, and they didn't know. And I just heard from them that they have worked their way through all the episodes, which is wow. about 70. You know, like they've been listening and they just are having a great time. They said they started at the beginning and just went all the way. And I was like, wow, that is just incredible. So there's that option. But I think I'll say it this way for because like, I think a lot of your folks that are listening are fish people like are, are out there, you know, slinging rods and catching fish. Um, I have a handful of episodes about fish. I don't fish. I have. I just it's just not what I do. But I like to tell stories about fish because fish are super cool. Um, if people wanted to dig in, there's these episodes about the greenback cutthroat trout in Colorado in the Rockies and the history of that fish. I had no idea how crazy that story was until someone kind of whispered it to me like you should check out this thing so there's two episodes about that it's called part one something fishy part two building fish and it's just the history of this fish and how like american settlers came across european settlers came across the plains and hit the hit colorado and the things they did how it really changed that fish and how that fish has been kind of found again and it's a wild fascinating story that's in there um I did three episodes last year. They're called Salmon 1, Salmon 2, Salmon 3. There's a secondary title to them. But they're about the the steelhead, lamprey, and um, Snake River Basin salmon coming out of Idaho and, and the complexities of having the four Snake River dams on the Snake River and and the push to get those out and why that push is there and what they're like how those those 
dams are killing those fish and those are pretty fascinating. I was actually able to get on a fish barge on the Snake River. I went inside and all around. Um, I think Granite Dam is the one um, on the Snake River. Did tons of interviews. I mean, three episodes on that topic. It was really fascinating. And then two more. You know, I have a contributing host, a couple of contributing hosts, Samara Rosen and Greg Cairns. And Greg, he's a filmmaker, and he interviewed Ben Knight, who made the film Red Gold uh, with Travis Rummel, his, his film partner beautiful film and then he also made the film damnation uh, travis and ben together about dams in the west and, and the, even across the country but ben knight is a fascinating dude to listen to so i think that one could really like find importance with your listeners as well because the way he talks about fish in there in the, in the red gold story which is the red gold story is the story about the pebble creek mines up in alaska and the work to prevent that which you know, I think I heard you talking like the Bristol Bay story. Like I heard you talking about that on another episode. Yeah, uh, you know how that's kind of been put off right now, and hopefully it stays off. So that one's a good one. And then another one is, um, it's called New Mexico's Fenced Off Rivers, and that this is a story of how New Mexico was allowing private landowners to fence off rivers that ran through their properties. And then this story went all the way through the Supreme Court, the New Mexico State Supreme Court, and was decided in favor of river access so that anglers could walk up the river through their properties. And it's a powerful story that still has a lot of kind of kickback right now. I just saw some stuff from the attorney general in New Mexico talking about how they are still enforcing this new rule that lets people move up rivers to fish. Um, and that's just a big topic in the West with access to rivers. So those are some that I think like, yeah, those are huge. Those are awesome. Yeah. And there's some other ones that, I mean, I, I think I'll, I'll highlight these real quick. So a few other episodes that I think that I like a lot, um, I produced, it's called 2023 Western Snowpack and River Flow that came out this spring. And that was a, an interview with three different people who are, they work for the National River Forecast Centers. These are, these are federal government positions. And these people track every drop of water that falls in a particular river basin. And these are like the biggest basins in the West. So like the Colorado Basin, the Columbia River Basin, and then the other guy out of SAC, he's doing, it's actually not just one basin, but several, but like California, Nevada. So these three, these three people I interviewed and they're so, I mean, these are like hyper intelligent data driven jobs, oh, yeah. people, and they were so into the conversations and it was so fun and it's so informative. And you know, it's like, it's like they're spies. Like they have like huge rooms of computers and data and all their peers. And they're like <laughs> spying on the rivers and looking at all the water and they give all that information to the people who run dams and metropolitan infrastructures and so the the information they have is just so good and it was a great conversation i mean just really fun and it's been a really popular episode um i talked about uh high water helicopters and money that's the very first episode it's a great story totally think it's it's good i've done a series called what is a river there's one from 20 i forget what years but there's two of them out there and those are conversations with doctors of hydrology or whatever the other one was and those are just really deep conversations about like, what is a river, which is like the kind of the base of my podcast yeah, in a lot of ways. Right. Like, what is this thing that we're so fascinated with? And so one person talks about like the hydrology of it and how it moves and the speed and what's happening as water moves across the land. The other lady, she talks about like the micro side of it and the pollutants and the, and the way water moves through the earth, like inside the, um, the like under parts of the river and through different, um, uh, the aquifers. And she has fascinating information she came on there with like here's how long water lives in this place and this place and this place and here's how much water is in all these different places on the earth it was just, those are really cool what is a river 
Um, there's one for a couple different years, and I have a cool one coming out this winter um, that'll that'll emerge for this year. And then um, a really popular episode that I love is called Kanaw Falls, and that is that came out last December, and that's a just an incredible rescue story of a dude stuck behind a waterfall, clinging for his life mm. for like six or seven hours. Wow. And the people that come out in the middle of the night to find him, they just happen to know where he was. It's, it's really a, just a deep story and uh, recommend that one. And then the one that I have last on this list is called Endless Summer. It's a three-part series. It's a story of a river guide, and he's, he's telling his story of working as a river guide and how he fell deep into the party side of river guiding. And it changed his life, fell into addiction, and how he had to crawl out of that hole. And it's a really... I mean, it's one of these stories that can bring tears and also bring a lot of joy. Right. But it's a real thing that happens to a lot, of, not a lot of river guides, but enough that it matters. And I was a river guide and I wanted to tell that story because I still see it happening to young guides that just go so far into drinking, smoking, and other drugs and just becoming toxic to themselves. And so his story is a really powerful story of moving on and how he's just doing such great stuff today with. That's cool his own company so yeah endless rivers um those are those are some really good episodes i'll say let me throw one other yeah. one in there this is a cool story it's called uh rowing home Five Thousand miles it's ellen falterman also known as ellen magellan she's a super cool lady who had some big things that happened in her life with her family and she ends up <laughs> canoeing the mississippi and the missouri from their headwaters respectively you know out in montana and up in minnesota down to st louis down the Mississippi to New Orleans, all the way out past New Orleans, and then along the coast to the west, and then up her home river in Texas to the place where her brother died. Crazy. And that story is, she's a good storyteller. She's also a pilot, which is an interesting way to have her talk about right. those rivers. Yeah, great story. She's also doing very cool stuff today. Um, yeah, so that was a good one. So there you go. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll put links out to all these in the show notes as well, just so people can take a look. And I mean, all of these, I haven't listened to, uh, you know, all those episodes, but I mean, they all sound interesting, you know, going back to the one you said on the Snake River. I mean, I think there is, there's a ton of overlap, you know, I mean, obviously we have people that are focused on fly fishing, but they all love rivers and all the same stuff. That's why I think the overlap is great. I mean, conservation is a huge part. Like you said, Yvonne Chouinard, you know, probably one of the best champions out there. And, you know, I mean, obviously fly fishing, surfing, he's got some of those same interests and, and it's awesome. You had a chance. I'm curious on Yvonne, just because I know we talked about it earlier on, but, um, you know, I think he's maybe a hard guy to get on a podcast. What was it like when you did that for him? Take us back there. Was that, were you, uh, that go pretty smoothly? How'd that look? Oh man, it's such a good question. Cause this was back when it was a radio show and I was the I was the board president of a, a conservation group called Dolores River Boating Advocates. Great group you can find. And we were we were putting out our first movie. And uh, this little company, Rigged to Flip, built us a movie about the history of the Dolores and its agriculture uses. And Patagonia had given us some money for that film. And we're like, oh, we should, you know, I was like doing the radio. So I was like, hey, I'm going to see if I can get, you know, Chenard to come on the show the week before the film comes out. And, you know, all this. And these people, like people who knew him had actually worked with him, were friends of mine, just cut through like their own change of life and all this. And like, you're never going to get him. He doesn't do that. I was like, just say that one more time. You know, like, I like that kind of like, you can't do it. I'm like, okay, watch. And so I just kept plugging away at getting the interview. And I could not believe it when I got the email, like he agreed, he'll do the interview. I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding? So you put in a lot of effort to get him. Oh Yeah. 
yeah like tons of emails you know this is yeah it was emails it was emails and a couple phone calls that's a hard wall to get past like it is it's a really thick he's well protected and rightfully so but he, he agreed to it and that's the one i did live and there's a couple of things with that interview that are wild this is where tom Miller, the, the radio producer guy is on the other side with me and we do this live because it's the only time it'll work wow so there's no recording is there a recording of this yeah, there is. I can get you a link to that. Oh, good. Um, they have it on their station for sure. But we go on the mic, and I say something to him like, "Hey, why'd you do this? You know, why'd you give this money?" And his answer was like, "Ah, oh, we give money to everything. I don't even know." And ah. I was like, "Okay, right." And uh, but we he softened up, you know, because he has a certain pessimism around the future, and and he speaks to that. But he also has a deep heartfelt push to do what he does you know give up all of this money to conservation and push his company to be this way so he you know he comes around and we start talking about it he tells about being on the dolores and pulling a snake out of the river one time that was swimming across it and just it was a, it became a really good interview and really fun oh cool but you know what's crazy so here it, it's live and the time like we're on the NPR clock. You only have like like nine minutes and thirty seven seconds, and you're done. And so I had to wrap it tight, and so he he does that. And but we keep recording. No, actually, we stop. Tom stops recording. We're just like, oh, we're done recording. But Yvonne keeps talking for like ten more minutes, and this is all after Doug Tompkins had died, the founder of North Face, who oh. died in the kayaking accident down in in Patagonia. Which there's a great movie out right now called um, I think it's called Wildlife. I forget the dude's name. But I think was, I want to say Jimmy Chen, but I don't think that's, I don't know if that's right. Yeah. I saw it this year. It is. Yeah. Folks listening, check out that film because the conservation heart of those people that is still happening today, is just to be learned from. And so Doug Tompkins and Chenard were super tight and they were together when Tompkins died in this weird kind of kayaking lake accident. Weird because it wasn't expected. It wasn't supposed to be as windy. Anyhow, I asked him about that in the interview. He spoke to it. We go off. We go off the live part, and we're just talking, and we're on the phone still. Tom's listening, but he's running the board, doing the commercials, and all this stuff. But you know, and Chenard starts to tell me. He's like, "Yeah, Doug Tompkins, when he first got down there in in South America and was starting to protect rivers, he saw that the Baker, the real Baker, or, or as they say, the real Baker, this beautiful, powerful glacial river in southern southern Patagonia." That there, there was attempts to dam it and that that Tompkins took out he was taking out full page ads in the Santiago Times every Sunday showing which which elected official like which senator was taking money behind the scenes from these these dam companies these power companies and they were able to prevent this river from being dammed and the story he did the way he's told it was so fun and so fantastic and we get, you know, he tells it. And I'm like, right on, you know. We get off the, we get off the phone. Eventually, we hang up, and I'm like, Tom, that was great. And he's like, dude, we didn't record that. And I was oh. like, oh, no, because we thought we would have a, like a part two, but it wasn't recorded. So what I learned from that is, I press record when I start the phone call. I'm recording, and until I sit, I get off. I just record everything anymore. Yes, you could always uh, not t- use it. That's yeah, wow. So that, there you go. So we'll try to find. I'll get that link from you. I'd love to hear that with Yvonne. Because we're, uh, you know, we're still working. Hopefully, we'll get him on uh, sometime in the near future. But, um, well, this is good, Sam. I think this one has started out, um, you know, some of these, I love the podcasting. This is why I love it, because you start on one yeah. topic, and you're obviously a podcaster, so you got all sorts of good stuff in you. I think what we'll have to do is maybe leave some of these other topics for another time. We can circle back around with you. But just want to give a shout out to everything you have going. I mean, obviously, you mentioned a number of the episodes 
Uh, we'll put links to that, like I said. Let's do a quick little uh, two-minute drill to take us out of here, and these are just uh, quick rapid-fire questions. Does that sound good to you? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So here we go. So I love the, you know, you're a podcaster, but sometimes music, I'm curious, uh, music, uh, podcasting, what are you listening to more when you're on the road? You know, my absolute go-to is reggae and I have, uh, yeah, I, I play a lot of reggae music just because it's just kind of mindless for me. And I think it's just really good. Yeah. Perfect. And is this, is this like uh, Bob Marley or just uh, other? So on Pandora, I, I use the station model obviously. And, and I, Alpha Blondie is the best station in my opinion. It's like uh, it's an older it's an older band and uh, yeah, it just brings in great 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 sounds. Yeah, Alpha Blonde, perfect. There we go. We'll get some Alpha Blonde to take us out of here uh, in the uh, in the show notes as well. So, what about a boat? We we've been talking rivers. Are you a what's your go to boat? Do you have one boat you love? That's kind of your river boat. I have a handful of boats and they're all inflatables. And I usually and I mostly row. My favorite boat that I just got last year is the High Side Mini Max. It's a 10 and a half foot raft. That thing, I can carry it by myself. I mean, I wouldn't want to carry it very far, but I can put it in the back of my truck by myself. I can R2 it, you know, paddle it with another friend, R1 it, R3 it. I can I have a little baby frame from well-felt frames that I can put on there. Perfect. You can go on a plane, go on a car. Got it all. I love that. Big water, yeah. small water. Yeah, it's a really fun boat. 10 foot. Yeah, that's a good size. Uh, what about a your your luxury item? You're on your, your river trip. What's the one item that's kind of like, ah, it's maybe a little bit, but I'm going to take it. It's the bed, you know, like I've either like a Paco pad or an X pad or like a C to summit pad, like whatever the kind of size bag I have, like a good bed with a sheet and a pillow and a blanket. Yeah. <laughs> and you... if I can, I take a cot that's a little bigger, but yeah. And the cot. Yeah. I love the river anymore, cot. Man. Sleeping, sleeping is good. I love the Rolla, the Rolla cots, you know, the blue, yeah. they have the, yep. with the throw a thermorest or a pad on your, I, I find, I'm not sure your age, but you know what I mean? Like one of those things 10 years ago, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about this, but now you get a little yep. older, like, you know what? It actually feels good to be uh, comfortable. And then the back likes you more for it. Yeah. I love sleeping out there and I love sleeping good. And so, yeah, hundred percent a good bed. Okay. What's a, uh, what's a river, uh, one river either you've done in the past that, you know, it's no secret or one that you want to do that you haven't, you know, gone through yet. Or is there a run that people are listening that, you know, maybe this is one, I mean, I always think the Grand Canyon, I haven't been on a boat through, um, but what would you say? You know, for me, it's the Dolores and that's where I live. And it's, it's a river that there, in fact, it's like up for right now, there's federal legislation working to protect it with a national conservation area. And there's a lot of work on the Dolores to help it be a, a healthy river. And it's just so beautiful. We got to run it this year because it was so much water. That's my, that's my, that's what I say. I used to keep it secret, but it's, it's known and it just needs love. So that's a good one. And then I think a river that I'd love to go, I don't entirely know where it is yet, but somewhere North, you know, I was listening to that episode of river horse and the boundary waters. And there's something about that zone and like the rivers, like the little creaky river things that connect those lakes. I want to go yeah. check that out. That's a place I want to go. Yeah, me too. I do have a question for you. I know you ask people about the music because I've been listening to yeah. your episodes. So let, let the listeners know what you listen to. What's your go-to Yeah, nice, music? nice, nice. So I've been, <laughs> you know, I've, I'm all over the place. I'm from like, you know, old school country to like reggae. I really, I, the other day I was listening with my kids, uh, like Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like oh, yeah, I remember yeah, Zeppelin yeah, yeah. in high school. I list, I've always listened to Zeppelin, but it's one of those things where you listen to it again. You're like, oh my God. This is great, you know, and like, and I feel like my kids need to hear this. So I, they didn't tell me to turn it off last time I played it for them. So I think maybe I got them a little bit. But yeah, I'm going to go with Zeppelin this time. I'll probably be different next time somebody asks me that, though. 
what's your favorite Led Zeppelin album? Uh, oh man, that's even a hard one. Um, probably I like Physical Graffiti. Um, I mean, Led yeah. Zeppelin, they're all one, two, three. I mean, I, I think that one, I love the ones that are a little bit, uh, like the Braun Year, was it Braun Year Stomp? There's one of those songs that are just kind of, yeah, yeah. It's so, they're so blue, right? I love the blues. They got the blues, but they have this Robert Plant, right? This guy that, like, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> yeah. it was the ultimate band. So I don't know. I love the Stones too, and I love the Beatles. Um, I'm a big classic rock guy. Nice. Led Zeppelin. That's good stuff right there. Yeah. There you go. Nice. Well, I think we'll leave it there and, uh, and we'll send everybody out to, uh, the river radius.com, the river radius podcast and, uh, and, and they can find you and track you down. And yeah, Sam, thanks for all the time today. This has been amazing. I really, your podcast is awesome. I love the quality, the production, everything you have going. So I'm excited about keeping in touch with you. Thanks again. Right on day. Thank you so much. You take care. That is a wrap. You can grab all of the show notes at wetflyswing.com. And please follow us on Instagram and share this episode out with someone you love. Please send me an email, dave at wetflyswing.com, if you have any feedback or want us to put together an episode on this podcast for you. Check in anytime. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and would love to meet up with you on the water. We have new fly fishing schools going all year long and all around the country. So if you want to connect, let's do it right now. All right, time to get out of here. I hope you have a great evening. I hope you have a great morning or great afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping by and checking out the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.